0: Welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, your host, welcoming you to episode 131 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Cutaway Comics and Gareth Cavanaugh have released uh, a new Vort, Vort magazine, and they've also released the first issue of Paradise Towers, Paradise Found, which is a miniseries based on, of course, Paradise Towers. So this episode of Panel to Panel, we're going to kind of focus on Old Doctor, and uh, we'll go from there. In this episode of Panel to Panel, we will take a look at the news, and then we're going to review a couple old Doctor Who stories. The first one is a story that was a one-shot from IDW Comics back in the day called Doctor Who Autopia, written by Suicide Squad writer-creator John Ostrander. Then we're going to go into the Matrix and take a look at an old classic First Doctor story from the TV comic annual back in 1966 called Prisoners of the Kleptons. And then we are going to have a wonderful chat and interview with artist Fez Raymond. Fez is a current artist for Cutaway Comics, and he is doing a backup strip in the Paradise Found comic all about the Happiness Patrol. And I had the pleasure of chatting with Fez. ...and talking about how he got into this role of doing this backup strip for Cutaway Comics... ...as well as his background of being an artist and uh, being a Doctor Who fan. We had a wonderful chat, and I think you will totally enjoy it, because I really enjoyed chatting with him. So, with this intro out of the way, let's get into the news! And Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, um, there's not a lot to go over. We'll go over new releases, which are kind of short and sweet. Back on Thursday, September 16th, Doctor Who Magazine number 569 was released in the UK and digitally. Uh, I am read about two-thirds of the issue by now. Um, it's really good and informative, good articles, uh, the ones I've read are really interesting. In fact, a friend of mine, Jeff Elston, got uh, mentioned or was in an article about collecting Doctor Who videotapes, so it was kind of neat seeing somebody I know in Doctor Who Magazine. Um, Doctor Who Magazine is still good to read, even without the comic strip in there. Hint, hint, DWM, get the comic strip back. Uh, that's it for new releases um, that were on my, my calendar anyway. Um, in other Doctor Who comic news, kind of offshoot Doctor Who comic news, Cutaway Comics, the company that's been putting out a uh, spin off comic miniseries based on Doctor Who properties, just announced this week that Paradise Towers, Paradise Found number one, has been released. That was a Kickstarter that happened earlier this year. And the first issue has been released, at least. Uh, so getting out to subscribers or Kickstarter backers right now. You can also order the first issue from Cutaway Comics website, which is cutawaycomics.co.uk. Also, from not necessarily from Cutaway Comics, but Gareth Cavanaugh, who is the proprietor of Cutaway Comics, also has another book that just came out. In fact, I have it right here in my hands because. Um, I've been eagerly waiting for this. It is issue number four of VORP VORP Magazine. For those people who haven't heard about VORP VORP, if you are a Doctor Who comic fan like I am, you need uh, VORP VORP Magazine. It is one of the best fan-made magazines, period, of any genre, any type you can think of. But it is specific for Doctor Who comics. And issue number four just came out. Uh, I just got my copy in the mail yesterday, as a matter of fact, as I record this, and it's uh, 171 pages, years in the making, um, the most amazing fanzine magazine you can think of. This is not even, I don't even consider it a fanzine. It is a magazine. And if you ever wanted to become an expert on the pre Who Magazine era of Doctor Who Comics, this is the magazine. If you read through this, you'll become an expert just in instant. You know, By the time you get done to page 171, you'll know pretty much all there is to know about Doctor Who comic strips back in the 60s and 70s. Let me give you kind of a rundown of stuff that's in here. There's articles about various different Doctor Who comic strip creators like Neville Main, David Motton, Roger Noel Cook, Tom Woodman, John Canning. Uh, Patrick Williams, Dick Millington, Alan Fennell, uh, Dennis Hooper, Jerry Haylock, Alan uh, Gillum, Frank Langford, Jeff Cohen. Uh, there's interviews with Harry Linfield, uh, an interview with Bill Mevin. This one is kind of near and dear to my heart because I, uh, along with Gareth, interviewed Bill, so it was uh, an interesting treat and something that we'll be sharing here on uh, Doctor Who Panel to Panel. In the upcoming episodes, there's uh, original comic strips to Vort, Vort magazine. One's called The Trod Invasion of Earth, which features the Trods, who are uh, robots, who you'll see on one of the covers that you could get for Vort, Vort magazine number four. And this is a sequel to a, a classic Doctor Who comic strip. There's a short story called The Cathedral of All, uh, another original comic strip called Return of the Piper, Revenge of the Ugrax is yet another strip that's in here that's original to Vorp Vorp. I can't say uh, enough about how great this magazine is. It is something that I've been looking forward to for years now, since I knew this issue was going to be coming out. It is definitely a labor of love from Colin and Gareth and everybody who has contributed to this magazine Everybody, I'm sure, is proud of the, the work that goes into this magazine. Like I said, it's been years in the making and something you don't want to miss out. To get your own copy, go to vorpvorp.co.uk and place an order for your very own issue. You get free stickers, a free cereal box. Um, I can't say enough about it. I can't say enough about how great this magazine is. So make sure you don't miss out on it. It is one of the, the highlights of uh, the year as far as Doctor Who comics go, and you don't want to miss it. And that is it for the news. Let's go into a couple reviews. Not too long ago, about a month ago, the new Suicide Squad movie came out, and that got me thinking about, uh, one of the big names when you think of Suicide Squad is writer John Ostrander. I happen to think, um, I believe John Ostrander did a Doctor Who story at one point in time. So I did some research and found out that he did indeed do a Doctor Who story. He did a 10th Doctor and Donna story called Autopia. And that is the story, or one of the stories that we're going to look at when we go into the Matrix. We'll take a look at Autopia. This was a one-shot that came out from IDW Comics back when they had the rights to Doctor Who. It was a 10th Doctor and Donna story written by John Ostrander with art by Kelly Yates. Um, this was story I found in the Titan Comics uh, 10th Doctor, Doctor Who Archives, Volume 2. So that's where I read it out of, but you can do uh, your own research and find out where else you can track it down. It's a pretty good story. It's just, like I said, just a one-shot story that came out back in the day. Tenth Doctor and Donna, and basically the Tenth Doctor and Donna uh, go to this planet called Autopia, which is basically uh, stands for Automated Utopia. It's a planet where um, the Doctor explains to Donna that some millennia ago, the inhabitants mastered robotics and announced they were going to make an Automated Utopia. Robots would take on the drudgery bits, leaving their masters free to perfect their minds, which they felt they could best do without the rest of the universe looking over their shoulders. So, basically, they put a force field around the planet, and the Doctor and Donna are able to take the TARDIS and plow through the force field and land on this planet, and what they find out is that the the robot's ...on the planet are basically uh, a collective hive mind and they're the slaves that take care of the planet and take care of the people that are there. Um, The doctor also explains to Donna that there was a a mission called the Kronos Mission, which was a group of five people uh, who, a century ago, managed to get themselves inserted past the barrier to invite the Utopians to rejoin the universe. Because the Utopians had cut themselves off to make this utopia. And uh, the, the Doctor explains that the Chronos mission came to Autopia to, uh, to invite the Autopians back into society because they had cut themselves off, and the people from the Chronos mission were never heard from again. So the Doctor and Donna kind of wander around this planet trying to find out what's going on, and they end up getting captured because they are strangers on this planet. And the people on this planet are... They've become stagnant. They have perfected everything that they possibly could. Um, Their society is considered perfect. They've written all the poetry and done all the artwork to perfection to the point where there's nothing else for them to do. Um, The Doctor and Donna discover the robots on this planet are uh, uh, slaves. And Donna wants to kind of free the, the robots from being the the servants to the, the humans who are on this planet. And that's where this story goes from there. And uh, I don't want to spoil the ending, of course, but it uh, kind of goes the natural course, although the last couple pages of the solution that Donna comes up with to make everything all fine and dandy in the end, I thought was kind of entertaining as far as the story goes, John Astrander's story, uh, it's to me, it almost feels kind of a, a regular or a general sci-fi trope of a perfect, a perfect society or a society that has reached perfection. Um, where do they go from there and what happens to them? If somebody from the outside world goes and ends up on that, that planet or in that society, uh, I thought it was, uh the way he did it was a little bit of a twist, and it was entertaining. It was a good, fun little story. Kelly Yates' artwork I thought was very, very nice. Um, I liked his characterization or his look of the Tenth Doctor and Donna. I was in the mood to read the Donna uh, story. Uh, Donna is one of my favorite companions, so anytime I get a chance to read a, a Tenth Doctor and Donna story, that's a good thing. And I, I like the look of the robots that he did. Uh, on, in, on this world, on Autopia, the, as far as the people, the, the, the human society that is there, it's kind of your traditional look for them, so I wasn't quite all that impressed, it wasn't super imaginative, but it was just fine for what it was, um, this is a fun little one-shot story, which are one of my favorite kind of stories to read, So, if you can track down a copy of Autopia, which you can probably, if you go to your local comic book shop and dig through their bargain bins, you'd probably be able to find a copy of it. It's been out for quite some time. It's a one-shot. It's nice and easy to find. And it was a good read. So, make sure you check out Doctor Who Autopia. Exterminate! For some strange reason, perhaps due to the fact I knew that the new issue of Vort, Vort magazine was coming out and I knew that my copy was soon coming to me, I had the urge to read a old Doctor Who comic strip. So I did some uh, looking and I wanted to read a First Doctor story. I hadn't read a First Doctor and John and Jillian story in forever and a day, So I uh, went and found a short little four-page story called Prisoners of the Kleptons. Uh, I also grabbed my copy of the comic strip companion that Paul Schoons wrote for uh, Telos Publishing that covers the uh, Doctor Who Classic comic strips. And uh, I can tell you from this that this strip came out in TV Comic Annual from 1966, and it was drawn, or uh, wonderfully painted, by artist Neville Main. And let me tell you the plot, thanks to Paul Schoon's and his book. A spaceship from Earth is forced down on a barren planet, and its crew captured. The TARDIS arrives nearby, and the Doctor, John, and Jillian examine the deserted spacecraft. A klepton approaches in a flying craft, and John shoots it down with a flare gun. The travelers enter the klepton's base and are captured. When the Doctor refuses to help the Kleptons invade Earth, he and his companions join the spaceship crew in a basket suspended over a vat of boiling oil. John uses his flare gun to set the oil alight and, in the confusion, the prisoners escape and get away in their respective craft. Um, This was a fun little four-page story. It is a sequel to an earlier story. In a TV comic, it was uh, the original story was the Klepton parasites. The um, the first Doctor had encountered them there, and in this uh, annual that came out back in 1966, they decided to do just kind of a sequel using the same aliens again. Uh, it was fun to see the first Doctor with his with John and Jillian his grandkids and. Uh, it, it's a charming little story. It made me laugh a couple times, especially when uh, you you see that they're trying to take the story and, and get it told in four pages. When one of the kleptons says, "Welcome to come to the point briefly. We need your help." So and instead of being long and drawn out exposition, is we're coming to the point really quick, uh, which made me laugh. Um, I also found it interesting how uh, things just seem to. Coincidentally happen all throughout this story to move the story along at a fast pace and make it really easy to, um, you know, from the, the doctor and John and Jillian finding the spaceship, um, and wondering where the crew went to find or to being able to get a, a transport to get them to the klepton, uh, Build or city where they figure it's the only place in that you can see. So the people from the ship must be there. Then, uh, like I said, just coincidences all the way around the, uh, John with his flare gun. So it just so happens that the kleptons take and put them in the same spot where the, the pilots from the ship are and put them over this vat of boiling oil, which John, oh, I have this flare gun. I can ignite the oil, causing a smoke screen, so we can escape. And the Kleptons really don't do anything to try to stop them. Uh, it was a fun story. It's the 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 story itself was, like I said, it's a fun, quick read. It's uh, you'll you'll laugh at how quickly things move along and how all these coincidences happen to make it happen so quick. The artwork, I thought, uh, I enjoyed the artwork. It definitely has a 1960s look to it. It's something that is bright and colorful. Um, the The kleptons look like aliens. They have little fish lips and fish eyes and uh, kind of thin ears. And seeing John and Jillian, who I always en- enjoy seeing John and Jillian in a in a uh, story is is fun. So I know a lot of times if you read a, a Doctor Who comic strip from the 60s, uh, it's, it's not nearly as complex as you would want out of a story, especially if you're an adult reading them. But when you think about that back in the 60s, these strips were made for kids and for Youngsters that were just uh, Doctor Who was new on the air, and it was a, a show geared towards children. These strips are geared towards kids. They they're still fun to read. They're uh, to me, they're a joy to look at, just because they're so bright and colorful. And um, you got to see it for yourself. See what you can do about tracking down a copy of the Prisoners of the Kleptons or any of the the old. Uh, Comic strips from back in the '60s, and enjoy one for yourself. You will be today on Doctor Who Panel, the panel, I have the pleasure of chatting with somebody who's new to the world of Doctor Who comics. He is the artist on the backup strip to the Paradise Towers Paradise Found comic. He's drawing the Happiness Patrol, and his name is Fez Raymond. Fez, thank you for joining me today. How did you get involved in doing art? Well, I am a long-term
1: comics fan. I guess my first comics were the ones I was exposed to here in the UK, which would have been the old Marvel UK reprints, things like Mighty World of Marvel and the sort of Spider-Man and Hulk Weekly. I grew up reading those. They were very much part of my childhood. And, you know, after a while, you start to realize that there's people that put this stuff together and uh, and the artists started to catch my eyes. Um, Uh And I was always inclined to draw and things like that at school. And that was something that I by the time I got to about 15, 16, I think that was something I really thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I started drawing in my spare time and putting together some samples and so on and so forth. But then, you know, A-levels came in way and then I went off to university and then I just got busy with work. So it never really got beyond just sort of messing around, having a bit of fun. Um, I mean, the very early days, like I think it must have been, it must have been. I actually went to a Doctor Who convention in Cardiff and I did show Mr. John Freeman some some of my samples. And he was kind enough to give me a lot of, you know, instructions and sort of positive criticism and support and sent me a pack of information from Marvel UK about this is how you do things. And I never forgot that. and, and, And some of the stuff I learned from him then sort of stayed with me. And so okay. when, I got to, when I got to university, uh, I was doing business and marketing. That's pretty much what I focused on. And I've been working in that area all my life. Um, but okay. the comics have never been far away. I did do some work with um, some some other comic creators on some small press stuff. So that really got my sort of juices flowing in terms of the potential of storytelling. And it's never been very far from my day-to-day job, which is marketing, uh, when it comes to storytelling. So all the things that I learned from comics do really help in there. It's, uh, it's a very powerful tool. In fact, my daughter's doing her GCSEs right now. And the first thing I did was, okay, what are you studying for English Lit? And she's doing Macbeth, and she's doing um, Doctor Jack and Mr Hyde. And the first thing I did was order the uh, comic book versions from from Amazon because oh. that is such a powerful thing in terms of being able to tell the story. Yeah, so definitely. that was so, so it's always been there. It's uh, nothing I've done professionally, but it's just something I've always been uh, very keen to try and try my hand at. And so okay. that was really the the background. So a comics buff, um, a keen keen artist and creator. People always commented that my art looked like something that should be in comics, but I never really had the sort of time or the patience to sit down and do it because it is quite time-consuming, and it obviously takes a lot of dedication. I'm not knocking any of that. It's
0: really uh, hard work to, to make yeah. a living out of it. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. It, it, I, I was kind of in the same boat when I was growing up. and you know, in the I grew up in the 70s reading comics here in the States, and mm-hmm. when I was in uh, middle school, high school, going into college, I had aspirations of being a comic book artist. But like you, it's I, I never had the patience to sit down and draw for that long at a time or focus on, you know, uh, uh, an entire comic page at a time. And also um, when I was trying to get into comics, it was in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and the mm-hmm. big the big boom of comics when uh there, you know, Marvel was putting out tons of comics and it seemed like anybody could get a, a comic and, and do it. But I never felt that I had as the, the chops that a lot of other artists had. And so mm-hmm. that kind of kind of set me off to the side and I started doing other stuff. And it's something I always had aspirations of, but just never got to fulfill that. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think I was very much like you where I thought,
1: oh, I'm not good enough for this. I'm just not going to be able to dedicate enough time to do this full time. Um, uh-huh. But as I've gotten older and better at time management and you know managing for the family and the kids, this opportunity came up. So it happened around about Christmas time, I think it was back in, no, I think it was actually early this year in January. And actually, I actually remember where I was. I was. It was right in the middle of the whole debacle with the US elections and what was going on after that in the oh, in okay. the US. And uh-huh. um, this uh, post-pop, up in social, and it was um, you know Mr. Gareth Canaway uh, from um, from Cutaway. and he was mm-hmm. talking about uh, doing an open submission process for their latest book, which is which was about Paradise Towers. Now I'm old enough to remember watching Paradise Towers when it was on TV. I was in school, but I did watch it live, and uh-huh. I remember. You know, Sylvester McCoy um, was was like a breath of fresh air. I, I I I was watching Doctor Who from the Tom Baker years all the way through okay. to Colin Baker, and I started to get a little bit worried about whether it was the right thing to watch when the um, when Peter Davison left, and it started to become a little bit more. Um, yeah, you know, there was a it was, I think, think They were forty five minute episodes. They were a little bit longer. Yeah. It just wasn't holding my attention as much. I remember that. Uh, uh-huh. I love those episodes now. As an older person, I, I I can easily go back and watch those. But at the time, it wasn't gripping me. And Sylvester McCoy came along, and suddenly it felt, felt like they were starting to turn a corner, and there was something else going on. Um, but it wasn't until his second season, which was the remembering, it was uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, I think it was the first yep. one. When wow. I really thought, "Wow, this is this is Doctor Who now. This is a proper story. I'm enjoying this," and I was I was back in love with it. I absolutely loved it. So, Paradise Towers, I think, was the second one after that, after Remembrance in that season, and mm-hmm. I was gripped. I I could tell it was you know the budget was a problem but that's never been an issue with doctor who fans (laughs) Um, it it, it was more about the imagination that was there and just where it was going and some of the some of the acting that was that was taking place it was it was really starting to grip me so happiness patrol I remember thinking was was an amazing idea and everything that came after that I was absolutely gripped by and obviously like most who fans at the time I was absolutely you know mortified when they ended it after that third season but that Never left, and all that excitement that was in that scenario in those stories that they were that Andrew Cartmell and his team were putting together, I think really fueled all the enthusiasm that carried on for us who fans. We never stopped following the show in terms of the books and the comics when the show ended in '89. If anything, it was thriving, that sort of fan base was thriving. Uh-huh. And so, although I and I did, I did, you know, do fan drawings and things like that, I participated in the fanzines and where I could. Um, but it was yeah. just as I was off to university, so I remember, you know, devouring those, ta- those, um, what were they called? The uh, the new adventures. The new adventures. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, from, you know, I love those books. You know, most of them I've still got, um, and I've got a healthy amount of uh, the Target books as well. Sure. So that carried on. So when this thing came up at the beginning of this year, going back to the Paradise Towers. I thought you know what the time is is right I can I can now manage my time I'm actually in a position where I can spend some time either early in the mornings or in the evenings and and put some samples together because I hadn't done that before so I did that um dropped Gareth an email and said I'd love to contribute a submission for consideration and I produced I think four pages from the script that they shared which was um which was for Paradise Towers um because this is before Happiness Patrol so this is all about Paradise Towers yeah they opened the submission process for that and and um, I did it all digitally because I didn't really have time to sit down on the drawing board, which I've got all the stuff from from like back when I was you know drawing these um, uh-huh. small press comics. Yeah. And uh, I had to teach myself some of these apps because I've got an iPad and I've got a Surface and all these good gadgets. But you have to still be able to draw, but you need to kind of master some of these apps that are there as well. So uh-huh. I did actually start off with something called Sketches Pro, which is very, very straightforward, very simple. But the quality wasn't as good for the sort of finished uh, process So I upgraded to Procreate and then I, found, um, I actually worked at Adobe for a while and Adobe Fresco was something that I thought would be good to try and it actually proved to be really, really good for me. So I, I did that. I still draw on paper whenever paper is around and, and doodle something uh-huh. on there and then I scan it in and then I rework it as necessary. There's a there's a couple yeah. of panels in the pages I've done that, that actually are exactly like that. Okay. Um, so I sent these uh, sample pages back in uh, to, to Gareth. And they came back to me a couple of days later and said on this occasion, they've decided to go with another artist, which is the mighty uh, Silvano from Italy, uh, Beltramo, who's done a fantastic job from what I've seen so far of paralyzed uh, uh-huh. okay. Terrace. And they, they did tell me that they had something like 17 people apply, which I thought was great. That's a good turnout. And they said they were interesting artists. And they said that my style was um, distinctive enough and dramatic enough and everything was, was in the right sort of area. And they said that they enjoyed the work uh, and that i was in strong contention to me that was a win i thought great they've given me the encouragement i'm really really happy that they like what i'd done which was you know done re- relatively quickly because i was working full time It's busy yeah um, and they said that they would like to keep in touch and you know bear me in mind for any future backup strip opportunities because there's tons of stuff that these guys are doing they're putting out some really interesting projects and i thought that's fantastic and um, i saw who they announced as the winner and i loved their choice from what i'd seen i quickly backed the kickstarter project (laughs) because i thought you know i want this book anyway Uh Uh, i want to read it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and paradise towns is i'd love to see what they're going to come up with that one and -hmm. then in april um, matt charlton who's the books editor he reached out to me to say they were thinking um thinking ahead about some stretch goals for this kickstarter and one thing they had in mind was to create a two-page backup strip in each issue of paradise towers around their happiness patrolled uh happiness patrolled property um and that was going to support what was then an unannounced series so they have now since announced it and mm-hmm. I believe uh, Adrian Sammons is going to be drawing that, which sounds fantastic. I mean, that style for Happy yeah. Patrol should be amazing. Yeah. So they asked me if I'd be interested, and I was absolutely over the moon because two pages, I can do that. <laughs> and and, uh-huh. it's be, <laughs> um, and it's going to be a couple of these, and hopefully more after that. Um, and even before they sent me the script, I was off drawing designs, redesigning the costumes, and they they basically said they they gave very little guidelines in terms of what it needs to look like because they said. Think of Happiness Patrol as it was then and how you would do it now if you had you know, a very big budget. How would you do that? Which is, of course, what you want to do when you're a, um, a comic book artist. I don't want to... I think he was. actually was listening to your podcast. If you haven't, if, if folks haven't listened to it, I would I would reach out and find out the one with uh, Dan Slott. I was listening to that the other day, okay. and he said something really interesting about how he thinks Doctor Who comics should be limited by the same restrictions as the um, yeah. TV series. Remember when he said that? Yeah. Uh huh. So, yeah. It's, it's always something you hear well you've got a limitless budget well i think it's somewhere in between you, you don't want to go so far off that it doesn't feel like doctor who but if i can draw a corridor that goes on for miles rather than one that just stops at the at the back of the studio <laughs> i'll do that so uh-huh. that's as far as i'm you know what i want to do so i i sure. kind of I didn't have a script, so I was redesigning locations. I was thinking, right, if I was doing the set now, um, I lived in Dubai for a while, so and there was a place there called Old Town, which is which is not old at all. It was very new, but it was done in the old style, and they were like corridors going off into the distance and stairs going up to who knows where and balconies everywhere. And that, to me sort of felt like something at nighttime with the right lighting could a lot look a lot like Terra Alpha. So I started drawing that and practicing things like that. Um, I tried to modernize some of the outfits and some of the paraphernalia and things like that. And then I got the script, and it wasn't set in the places that I saw in the TV series. It's actually set in, a, in the industrial zone uh, of Terra Alpha. In a sort of uh, in a warehouse where this sort of illegal rave is going on and they have a visit by the happiness patrol and then that that sort of incident sort of um sort of uh comes out over the two pages that we're talking about for the first issue. So it should be in the first okay. issue. So okay. it was then a case of just okay, so um happiness patrol appear at, I think they appear at the end of the first you've seen the first page, I, sh- I shared that yes. with you, Jeremy. Yep. So they appear yep. on the first page and then you have to make sure well, that you know, going back to what John Freeman said, you know, if you're going to make a your main characters have an introduction, you need, needs to be as, as like a full feature panel for them, so you can see what's going on and not a sort of small headshot. That always stayed in my mind. It sounds obvious, uh-huh. but the number of times you see things introduced in a way that just don't make an impact. So I wanted to make sure, bang, they're kicking down the door, in they come, and that we have yeah. that going on. And then I thought, well, if I redesign them, they're going to look. You're not going to know that the Happiness Patrol. Um, and then I saw some of the designs that were coming through for the second strip. Uh, which uh, uh, another winner of this contest, well, uh, from this open submission process, uh, he's definitely a winner, is uh, Martin Baines. He's done a fantastic job. He definitely went for a look that was um, very much like the look from the TV series. And I thought, well, it makes sense to make sure that what we're doing is as consistent as possible. Again, there Uh was no pressure. We could do what we like and we could easily say this is a different brigade or whatever it might be or a different time frame. There was no restrictions like that. It was very, very loose. But I kind of drew it back to what, I remember seeing from the TV series and I had watched after I got the gig, I had watched the episodes and I, uh, I quickly reread uh, Graham Curry's wonderful novelization as well, which I have from, from back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, just to see what design and you know it's re- I've forgotten his his version of the candyman is completely different to what you see on the screen um, he's not a, he's not a robot he's more like a man so yeah. I've've done, done designs for this but he doesn't appear in the strip that I'm doing so um, so that's what happened so I, I had to sort of just really go by the script what came through and it's a wonderful script it's it's kind of uh, very evocative you know it's set at night it's in this industrial zone and it's in a sort of a rave sort of culture environment um, so that was it and then you you i think i shared the colored pictures with you as well so hopefully you, yes. you've seen that yeah. what did
0: you think of the colored version i thought they're fantastic the oh color i thought it was great it, it definitely had that rave feel to it. it you know the the coloring was spot on for the setting that it was
1: I, I don't know if Andrew Andrew Orton, who wrote, wrote it, he actually coloured it as well. He, he's a fantastic colourist in his own right, and I didn't realise he was the same guy that wrote it when I first got it. But I've got <laughs> I've got I've got stuff with his colours. I've got his I've got his Robin of Sherwood books as well. He's a fantastic writer too. So yeah, yeah he did a great job, and really, I, I actually had mocked up the colours myself to see okay what it's, so I had an idea what it would look like, and yeah. it's nowhere near as good as his stuff. But it was the same <laughs> colour it was the same colour palette because it it's got that sort of look that looks like. It could easily have come from Happiness Patrol. You know, if Russell T uh-huh. Davis was doing a Happiness Patrol spin-off series, hopefully it would look something as as vibrant and crazy as this. So that's uh-huh. what I love what he's done with the colours. And then, um, you know, everything else in there is uh, is is the the the, pe- the pencil work and the inking work is is obviously all mine in the first issue. Uh, and it was really done by. I didn't go back to the the photographs or the um, you know the, the TV episodes. I looked at it, absorbed it, and then just t- just put it away and just did what was uh-huh. in the script. So that's the. approach. Approach. that's the approach i took for the, okay. for the comic itself
0: sure uh being as this is something kind of totally new for you doing a being an artist on a comic book um given the the free reign that they're letting you have to kind of come up with their own designs and and look for your your strip that you're doing did you feel a lot of uh, anxiety or uh, stress about the fact that oh I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off or or no no quite the opposite um oh, I really? tell you where
1: no because I did tell you where I did feel some stress I've done some sort of free work for some of these um, uh, fan annuals that have been produced and okay. they're lovely beautiful works of art um, real sort of painstakingly put together by fans I don't know if you've seen any of those Jeremy the um, uh, Terraquist has done some yeah I, I have seen this. some of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they have comic strips in there as well, but they're not that common. Mostly it's text and um in the illustrated stories yeah so i uh-huh. illustrated one of those uh i think it was last year uh it was the uh, sylvester mccoy one actually so it was the 1989 i think it was that one okay um and that was actually a wonderful story that was done by um uh, a writer in 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 cardiff uh which is i hail from south wales by the way so it was ironic that i'm living near london but he <laughs> he was from cardiff of all places uh-huh um and um he did he did a story which kind of just all it, the only instructions in that one were it's sylvester mccoy and it's ace and they've got to look like they did at the end of dragon fire so ace has got to wear those red leggings <laughs> that, that was the instruction yeah. <laughs> um and everything else i could just invent so that it was, okay. he's a wonderful writer he's, he's a chap called His a chap called george uh for smith um, and we did this strip called this book called this uh, story called Palace of Bones. That was a lot of fun. But then I had mm-hmm. to do another. I've done another couple of these where they're more prescriptive. Uh, done one for the 1965 book that another team has put in together, and their restrictions were: oh, it's got to be the same color palette that you would have seen in 1965, and you can't use any references of William Hartnell from any stories before 19-. And that causes a lot of stress because I'm not an expert on the images <laughs> as I see them. But, uh-huh. This pose will do well. So I kind of went back to my my instincts, which is like, I'll just draw what I want to draw, like pencil it in. And then if I find a reference for William Hartnell that, that matches to, to, for the pose that I want, I'll use that. But then they came back. Well, that's obviously a picture from where planet. and I thought, Oh, dear. Yeah, right. So um, uh-huh. I'll have to sort of edit this out and change this around. So that was drawing something that's done before. Oh, and that was the other thing. there's another annual coming up for one of the Colin Baker years that Tarotqui is doing. and um it was it was based it was like a, it's a it's a story that's in, inspired by an old uh, William Hartnell annual story. So I won't give you the details because I don't think okay. it's going an answer yet, but it is uh-huh. it, that caused me a bit of stress. oh, now I need to make these guys look like they did in that story. I need uh-huh. to do the research. I need to check all this out. Do you know what I mean? Because I yeah. had to make it look like something but, that was a natural evolution, whereas with the Happiness Patrol, I'd watched it. the The, the Patrol's outfits are pretty easy to draw; they're not overly complicated. Um, yeah. But what the costume design for the, for them? You know, they've got these sort of punk hairstyles, they've got makeup on their faces, and you know, they've got these mm-hmm. crazy toy guns which actually can can pack a punch. And the yeah. rest is just sort of uh, up to me to sort of you know play with. So no, I had a blast. It was quite the opposite. As soon as I got the gig, I was off drawing all kinds of sketches probably much more than i had to or needed to but it just got my um, creative juices flowing so i really oh. loved the experience of just sort of i've got pages of stuff where i was just doodling things and you know in my spare time i was i was designing new characters and things but i didn't have a script for a couple of months so i was just waiting for it to come through uh-huh. And then when it came through, I dived in, and probably you know, I did, uh, the, what I did was I broke down the scripts. So I had the, uh, you know, they're very. It's it's the, it's not the Marvel style, which I used to do with my, um, uh, you know, small press friends. This was yeah. much more panel one is this, panel two is that. But they gave uh-huh. me freedom, so um, and I would go down and break it down, and make sure it works from a comic perspective in terms of the storytelling that it would follow through. Um, there was one, there's one character you will have seen in the page I shared with you, where she's. Um, uh, she's like in charge of the rave and she's like it looks like she's she's uh, smoking a cigarette there's something hanging yeah. over her mouth it looks like a cigarette in the script in the original script it was described as uh, eventually when you see her she snaps it and it's a one of those cigarette candies you know it's a candy oh. that uh-huh. it. but it's quite difficult to get that across in a comic because it's you know it's static yeah. and if you don't understand what it is it might just look like she's broken something we don't know it's candy so my simple suggestion was why don't we just have it pop out as a lollipop um so when she when she pulls it out it's, yeah. a, it's a lollipop um and they said that's great that, that'll work so they were very open to sort of some little suggestions here and there um and i just moved a few things around as so it made sense from the perspective of a drawing i had some characters pop up in one panel and another um things like that but no it was it was actually relatively no anxiety at all
0: <laughs> it was just a lot but of fun and enthusiasm i, um, I could i could see where going. that's yeah i could see where that would uh where it's something where you don't have refer you don't really you have reference but at the same time you don't because you want things to be fairly recognizable so that people know yes this is the happiness patrol but if it's a different time frame or you know somewhere in the future or a different uh, group yeah. of, of patrol you have that that freedom to kind of interpret things however you want Whereas that's, that's what
1: they gave me exactly that yes
0: <laughs> so um, working with the, the, the writer of the script um, have, as you've been doing the artwork have, or even with, uh, your your editor, have they been heavy handed when it comes to saying, you know, no, this isn't quite right. Can you redo this? Um, Um, how, how much of a leeway on, on that front have they been giving you?
1: Uh, well, so far it's been really, really good collaboration. I have to say, um, there was uh, they are they they are they do tell me if uh, now Andrew would say now I really want this this last panel to look like this because that's what I've got in mind. But if you want to try something else, you're you're free to do that. So I tried okay. a few different but I, I agreed what he'd done. Um, I think the script said, okay. I mean, for example, I don't want to give the ending away, but they, they, if, when you get when you finally get hold of the final page, you'll see that there's um, there's a slight repetition of a particular character because of the reaction they've got. Okay. Um, and then originally they were the panels were very similar with just the background changing. But then I I shared it with a few artist friends of mine as well, and they said they said, oh, this, these last two panels are the same. It sort of it stops it stops it being it stops you in your tracks a little bit. So I agreed with them and I just sort of made the last character a little bit more of a close-up it's the same pose but it's a close-up so it gives you that okay. sense of variety you've only got two, uh-huh. two pages to play with in the, in the backup strip for this one so just yeah. wanted to make sure that i followed this the the instructions as closely as possible they seem really happy with it so i'm glad with that um but um no they're very open uh, the the uh, the editor has been very hands-off just giving me these sort of basic instructions andrew's much more involved i think in terms of um uh, because his grand George is his script, just to make sure that um, you know what we're doing is is tied up. He gave me yeah. some suggestions as well because, by that time, Martin's uh, art had started to come in and he wanted to make sure there was some consistency. But surprisingly, they didn't say, look, one of you design the outfits and off you go and make sure they're the same. They didn't do that, which is what I was expecting. Um, yeah. you know, either, either me or Martin, do the designs and then we'll go with that. They kind of left it us, left left it up to us. And when I saw Martin's artwork, which is beautiful, uh, I wanted to – I don't know if you've seen his artwork. He did, he did some uh, stuff for the – I think it was called 100 Objects of Who – uh, book that came out. He illustrated that. That's what I've seen him for. So it's okay. worth checking out. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I just it, it, total freedom. I just I wanted to make sure there was some consistency, so I I tweaked a few things, like the guns. I'd done my own design. Martin had very much used the guns from the TV show, so I, I googled the gun, found it on some auction site, I think it was, and then just sort of drew that <laughs> so sure it was as, as close as possible. Uh-huh. Um, yeah that was it really so there was a lot of lot of freedom i didn't i didn't worry about little things like oh is the belt exactly the same or the shoes the same i just drew what felt right for the particular scene um i would i would say that i've tried to keep things as um you know modern as possible because this is today's comic today's world so we've got a lot of diversity in the in the artwork as much as possible we've got um you know sort of modern vehicles in there they don't look like something from the 80s so that when you see the happiness patrols patrol vehicle it looks more like a you know armored tank from today yeah. um and the, and the and the sort of uh, landscape and the scenery things like that it's all as you would want it to look like today you wouldn't be you wouldn't be trying to look at what it was like in the studio in 88 and, uh, and try and mimic that but it, yeah. it hopefully when you see it you'll see it's evocative of what what you would expect
0: awesome um for for those people who haven't seen uh, or you know, like I said, the the first issue of this is, has just been announced as being released from Cutaway Comics. So uh, people that are going to be receiving it are going to be seeing your the first two pages of your backup strip. Um, who are your comic book uh, art, artistic influences? And if somebody is like you know is unfamiliar with your art style, what kind of what kind of artists would you say you kind of fall in step with? oh gosh that's a good question
1: i, I don't think um i could say i'm like any of the artists that i actually you know love and and, and sort of follow but uh uh-huh. certainly uh, you know going back to what i was saying earlier when i was a kid i started to notice the art it was probably the first artist um who ever imprinted on me was Sal B. Sandler because he was he drew the first comic yeah. i ever bought i was about six and i and it was before the tv show hulk tv show came out and i i remember watching it i must have been six and a half thinking I know this car- character I've got a comic of it you know I just happened uh-huh. to you know I, but I read the comic before the tv show which was nice I, I didn't come into the other way around so yeah. that was one guy and he the way just the way he drew he has a very simplistic style that gets across information without any fuss whatsoever there's an economy of line there which mm-hmm. I just just think is amazing um yeah. and then I think the next artist that I definitely noticed was um John Romita Jr he his his style, in terms of um, mm-hmm. his storytelling style, is what really I, I think got me into wanted to even want to draw comics. It was that um, he just made things look so simple. I know he he's got his he's got his fans and he's got his distractors, but I I love what he's put together. and I love yeah. his love his storytelling. What about you, Jeremy? What who do you who do you who did you aspire to? Who
0: did I aspire to? Um... Yeah, who was inspiring to you? Um, when I was drawing, I, I was always more kind of a, I would guess would be a, like a traditional comic book artist, you know, uh, John Ramita senior, mm-hmm. um, not I, everybody has aspirations of being like Neil Adams, but I could never pull that off. Um, <laughs> but, but more, uh, where you have the Sal Buscema, actually in the, the artwork that you shared with me for, for your strip, I, I saw, sal basima but not like his 70s stuff i was thinking more like uh when sal basima did spectacular spider-man oh yes i have that run i (laughs) i i I could see that in your art style Um, interesting yeah that's what i saw it it remained what i thought of at first Um, oh it's
1: it's interesting that i picked that name out because i I wouldn't have thought of that until you asked me that question but he was the first one i ever saw (laughs) Um, uh-huh. but, but the, uh, I would, I think his style, he still does inks here and there, doesn't he? For people like Ron friends, but he's, he's, yep. he, I met him and actually told him that, you know, you oh, were the really? first. You were the first. Yeah, he was in a comic con in uh, in London years ago, and he was there with oh. his wife. And I told him that yeah, you drew the first comic, and he goes, "Oh, so it's all my fault, is it?" And He went like, that. "He was <laughs> such a nice guy." Yeah, and I did get to meet Jeremy Jr. as well in in uh, a couple of comic conventions. He's so such a kind gentleman, uh, just so nice to see. And uh, yeah, but I more recently I've admired work like people like Frank Whiteley. I think um, when I see some yeah. of his work and yeah, well, um i can see
0: that in your in yeah <laughs> kind of your, that influence in your work
1: yeah maybe in the line work you know they just make uh-huh. it look so simple but there's so much detail in there and they just pack a lot of energy in there that's where really we like i love todd mcfarlane when when i when i was growing up as well but because he looked todd mcfarlane and rob Liefeld i mean they, they get a lot of criticism but i thought they had they brought a lot of enthusiasm to their art and of course they were extremely successful but they yeah. were they probably came after i had started drawing so they weren't directly influencing my art style at all i didn't go for the sort of image look if you know what i mean i was more yeah. interested in the sort of um you know understanding how to be a good draftsman and just and and combining that with storytelling skills that's really what yeah. i was trying to
0: do yeah, i think what, that's what, what i
1: can bring so that's the, the storytelling style that's what i huh. like to very focus
0: good. on yeah well i the the pages that you shared with me i was very impressed with your art style and uh it to me i i like it when an artist uh the story that is being presented the artist fits that the their art style fits the story really well and to me your art style fit this the story at least the, the two pages really really well um, it, it it added to the the feel of the story or the atmosphere of the story
1: oh that's very kind of you to say so i think that's what they must have seen in the sample say that it's probably not right for this one but for this this mm-hmm. story and this this plot um it's probably um you know, more suitable. Um, oh, the yeah. other thing I will say is that they did say one thing about the script that they it had to have had to have approval because obviously Graham Curry is no longer with us, but his estate mm-hmm. is managed. This this creative uh, aspect of it is being managed by Andrew Cartmel, so he okay. had sort of the final sign off on the actual uh, on the actual script before we could uh, you know start drawing. I think that was one of the reasons why it took a little longer because they had to run it by him first. And he's a busy guy, sure. But yeah. um, I was really pleased to hear that actually to say like it's got that approval. It does feel as a reader to me the, the what they, these guys are putting together from cutaway it it feels to me as absolutely vital um and when they got john ridgway on omega that was it i was all over that book
0: yeah yeah definitely it, just,
1: it was like oh this is this is this is it now these guys are on the on the map you know i love what they've done with lytton but omega for me was like absolutely unmissable so i've got mm-hmm. all of that run and um just so excited to be part of it you know whatever way i can contribute i'll just be happy to do that but i'm loving what they're doing and you know they've got big plans for um, the sort of marvel universe style sort of crossovers that's coming up they announced recently you heard about that yeah uh
0: no not really
1: oh right so they they're working on this major 12-part comic called gods and monsters um okay. it's going to be it's in the works for i think late this year early next year and it's kind of their version of a marvel style sort of um you know, crossover. Sure. So there's there's going to be some interesting stuff in there. There's not going to be, as far as I know, it's not the Happiness Patrol stuff. Uh, it's more to do with um, you know Omega and some of the other characters yeah. they've done. But uh, um, I think as a reader, that's that sounds really interesting. They've got some big ambitions. These guys. And it's oh, really definitely.
0: Exciting. Yeah, uh, I've, I've Gareth and I have been kind of passing in the night trying to to uh, I want to get him back on the podcast again to talk about. You know the the Paradise Found and and what's going on with Cutaway, but he's been so busy with the new issue of Vort Vort magazine coming out and getting that all. I just uh, heard you've got your copy Jeremy. <laughs> yes, I got my copy just the, just the other day and uh, I haven't even read one full article yet. Oh, right. Well, I, you're um, lucky. You're in the US, aren't you? So you've got that yes. for me. I'm still waiting for
1: my copy, but it's well worth the wait. Those books are amazing. Oh so, yeah, you know, that was another thing for me. When I heard who was involved with with Cutaway Comics, their their credentials for me were, you know, with with it's such a professional mm-hmm. looking magazine. Uh, oh, definitely. It, it's, it's stunning um so yeah no hesitation about doing any work with these guys they're really professional they're really kind to work with as well and as i mentioned to you they've been very open and, and very encouraging in terms of the stuff that i'm putting together because they could easily say now go away redraw this we don't like this none yeah. of that that's to redraw a single thing in fact there's one panel i was really worried about it was a it's a second panel i thought oh this is looking at maybe I should do it from a different angle or something and they came back saying oh we we really like the art especially the
0: second panel they're like, oh okay Bye. fine i'm not <laughs> worrying about it anymore <laughs> But then you know you're hitting the uh, you're running on all the right cylinders there that when, when you're something that you're worrying about they're like, oh no, this is the best part so yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so well, it's good to hear that that things are going along well for you working with cutaway. Um, uh, i I'm I have this sneaking feeling that this backup story that you're doing is probably gonna lead into some more work from them at least uh, i'm I'm hoping that it does for you because I like I said I was really impressed with your artwork and. Uh, I I would love to see you do more stuff for them. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. So, uh, for those people that haven't uh, checked out Paradise Found, uh, Kataway just announced this week that issue number one is available. You can go to their website and and order it if you haven't backed the uh, Kickstarter. And, uh, Fez, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, your work, not only in Paradise Found, but whatever else you uh, work on after that. Oh, that's, uh, likewise, Jeremy. I'm, big, as I told you, big fan of your podcast. Thank you
1: for having me. Uh, if you want to know anything more about what I'm working on, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm there as Fez underscore R. Oh, that's F-A-I-Z underscore R. Oh, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about my art or anything else that you want to talk about.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, uh, Fez, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Pleasure. Many thanks to Fez Raymond for joining me today. It was a pleasure chatting with him. He is somebody new to the Doctor Who art scene. Uh, Welcome, Fez, to the wonderful world of Doctor Who artists. Um, Everybody's going to have a pleasure or have the pleasure of looking at your artwork and seeing your story of the Happiness Patrol coming out right now. The first issue comes out from Cutaway Comics. Make sure you go to cutawaycomics.co.uk and order yourself a copy if you haven't backed to Kickstarter, which um, I backed it. Fez backed it. Uh, make sure you start following Cutaway Comics on Kickstarter. They have a lot of, st- of comics and uh, titles in the works, and they're putting out some wonderful stuff. Uh, Litten, Omega, um, uh, Paradise Found. The list is just going on and on is the stuff they're creating. Thank you everybody who has downloaded this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope this episode finds you and your family and friends well. Uh, We're still battling our way through the the pandemic and uh, I'm going on vacation in a few weeks and I'm looking forward to kind of forgetting about the world and work and pandemic and uh, taking a break from it all. So I hope everybody else has that opportunity as well. I hope this episode finds you well. And I hope you will join me again next time for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. So, until next time, this is Jeremy B. saying goodbye and good health. (laughs) Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who Comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who Comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.